Amen. Amen. If not, everybody stretch your hands towards the baskets. Repeat after me, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Repeat after me, Father God, in the name of Jesus. We ask that you bless both gift and giver in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you for your sacrifice. God bless you for your giving on this morning. It's preaching time. It's preaching time. I, I don't know when we're going to get some mics that work in this place, Lady Maria. Let me try it again. I said it's preaching time. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want to hear what God has to say to us this morning through this mighty man of God. For those that missed him on Friday night, you missed him in rare amen. He showed up, showed out, and let them know that there's a preacher on the north side in Columbus that knows how to tell the story. Amen. Anybody witnessed it? Did anybody witness it? Amen. I ask that you stand to your receipt. Just stand in your receipt. Stand in your feet in reverence of the office of our bishop. <laughs> uh, receive now our pastor, Bishop Roy J. Lysif. Receive him with a hearty amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated. Odell, it's good to see you. It's always good to see you, but it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. I know things have been rough, and so does God, and he's never left you. He will see you through. Hallelujah. And we're praying for you and here for you, and never doubt that. Love you. Amen. We thank the Lord. Just before I get into the word, I gave a prophetic um, declaration a few Sundays ago in reference to a move of God that was going to take place for one of our own that was dealing with a condition in her body that was causing all kinds of drama. And I'm going to ask if Minister Angela Marshall would just come up and give a testimony of what God has done for her. Hallelujah. October. Uh, matter of fact, I don't even know if it was October. Do you guys remember when we had the clothing giveaway? So when we had that clothing giveaway, I don't know if that was September or October, uh, October um, I started having these headaches. Um, that week I started having these he headaches. And I remember uh, I even asked Bishop that day, he said, I got some aspirin. And I was like, I don't know about no aspirin. Like, 
ain't i don't think that's strong enough this headache has been here all week so i started having these headaches continue 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 until um i finally probably about two or three weeks later started getting these really bad dizzy spells um and i was off balance so it was like um they, my doctor prescribed me some migraine medication. I think I called Leah, like, what kind of migraine medication do you take? Like, what, it, what, you know, what is this? And they gave me the migraine medicine, but the migraine medicine did not work. Um, and they gave me two or three different types of migraine medicine, and none of those migraine medicines worked. And not only was it a migraine, it was almost like um, my equilibrium was off, so I couldn't walk. Um, I almost felt like, if you uh, okay so i'm not a drug addict per se uh <laughs> yeah, praise god for that well you know i got control issues so that probably is the problem so <laughs> I, I don't like not having control of my body so <laughs> but it's almost it was uh, i almost felt like if you've ever taken a percocet or something like after uh, uh something where you needed to take something really strong it felt like that so it felt like i did not have control of my body like i couldn't move I was dropping stuff. I was trying to cook and burning stuff. I was like, I couldn't turn around. It was almost like I was spinning, but the world was still. I couldn't look up. I was sensitive, so sensitive to light, so much so that um, I remember asking, my, going to the emergency room. Now, y'all know it was COVID, and I didn't want to go to no emergency room. I was like, oh, y'all not about to have me up with the COVID patient. Let me see how bad it was. Let me see what the enemy played trick with you with. So we were going to the emergency room, going to Riverside, and there was a lady in the right-hand lane. And the lady was bent over, like, in the car, and she was pulling over, and she was throwing up. And I was like, she going to the emergency room. I ain't following them. I ain't going to no mercy room with them. I was like, I bet you she going to the emergency room. She a hot mess. She got COVID. I can see she got COVID. Everybody in that car got COVID. I'm not going to the emergency room. So, so <laughs> and he talking about, girl, you had to get out this car. I ain't going in there. They got COVID. So I got my purse, y'all. I got it. <laughs> my purse wrapped up like this i said you touch nothing don't you put my bag on nothing they was like get on the scale i was like i ain't getting on that scale y'all ain't wiping down it's dirty in here so i'm having a whole panic attack about, about about this emergency room they take a scan they do the scan of my brain they don't see anything but then the scan they say oh everything is okay they don't do nothing but give me an iv I, uh, of course, like, it was a real panic attack. I had in the bed, like, I'm kicking my feet, I'm kicking my shoes off, and he is looking at me like I'm crazy, but, like, I am really, like, having this panic attack staying in this room because I feel like they're not cleaning it, and it's dirty. So I could, they was like, you can go. I think they didn't say go fast enough, and I was already to that car. That lady did have COVID, y'all, and she did come to the emergency room, by the way. So we left, still no relief. So he went and took me to the eye doctor. Now, when we get in the car to go to the eye doctor, my vision was so distorted that I know at the end of our driveway, at the end, like when you're turning into the main road, there is like uh, some trees, some bushes, and there is a car sitting at what should be the stop sign. The way my eyes interpreted it was the car was in the trees across the street in the woods, and I couldn't locate the stop sign. So then wh what else happened is that on our, you know, the parking lots where our, our apartment is, there's two, there's cars parked on either side. Well, I saw the cars in the middle. So they weren't on the side of us. It was looking like we were rolling through all of the cars that were parked on either side. 
so my vision was distorted i couldn't look up at light i was still when it first started trying to drive jayla to school and i kept saying i can't see why is everything is crazy like i can't really see i can't judge where anything was but i'm steady thinking it's me and i'm like it's go it's, it's gonna be okay so i'm like i think i better stop driving her to school and um like he like she ain't getting on the bus i'm like well i don't know how she gonna get there because it's probably best that i don't drive so from october till a couple weeks ago i have not drove because i could not see so then with the headaches so i changed my diet to get the headaches to go away so i stopped eating meat to get my headaches to go away that seemed to work trying to eat a vegan diet um cutting out definitely beef beef seemed like it was a huge culprit um, so I stopped eating that and the headaches went away. Well, but the vision was not the same. So I would be sitting there and I would literally see blood coming down over my eyes, like red blood, like falling down over my eye. And I'm going, that's weird. I'm like, anybody else seeing red coming down over their eyes? Now I still can't see. So when the blood would not come, it looked like, I don't know if you want to put your hands in front of your eyes like this, like this is how my vision was. So if you put your hands in front of your hand, your, your hand in front of your, your your eye, that's how I could see. So I could see some things, couldn't see other things. It was almost like looking through, like um, a web. And um, it, it, you know, again, I'm dropping stuff. Can't keep my balance. It was weird. Went to the eye doctor and he said, "Well, let's do lasers. Let's start with lasers." Well, I went to a retinologist and the retinologist started giving me lasers. Well, he starts yelling at me in the chair every time I would go because I had to go every week and they had to do one eye at a time starting with this left eye the right eye left eye right eye and he started yelling at me every time till he was like if you don't keep your eye open uh I'm not gonna be able to do it so if you want you want this you just get this injection numb the whole eye so I would come out to the car like in tears because of course it's COVID nobody could go in there with you so I'm being berated by the doctor while I'm in the room by myself and so and then I would go and tell him he would tell me it's better and I'm like it's not better I still can't see he was like yes it is because your vision is this and I'm like I'm telling you I still can't see so he was like well whatever your issue is it ain't the issue that I see so that particular time one of the ladies came in that worked for him and said I heard him yelling at you that's not okay he's not the only retinologist that you should go and see this particular lady because I came in like I am literally in tears because every time I come back, he keeps telling me what's wrong is not wrong. And um, she said, you don't have to take that. Now, his worker saying that to me, his worker gives me another lady from at OSU and told me to go see that lady who was like, she's good. She knows what she's doing. And ain't nobody over there going to treat you like this. Now, mind you, I have no name of what's going on. I still don't know what this is. All I know is I can't see if I lay back blood comes down my face and I just see red uh, and um, it's literal but and it moves so this is really creeping me out because it not only can I see can I see this blood is moving back and forth in my eye so when I get to the new lady she really begins to break it down to me she was like well okay it's diabetic retinopathy this is what happens because you know you've been diabetic for you know since I was 27 I'm 47 now 20 years and she's uh, over time this is what happens because your eye vessels start to try to fix the eye, broken eye vessels and they start growing too many and when they start growing too many that they bleed because they don't know they're trying to repair themselves 
So um, they started doing injections in my eyes to uh, stop the bleeding. So I done had lasers in my eyes. I done had uh, these injections supposedly stopping the bleeding. Ain't nothing stopping the bleeding and ain't nothing fixing it. So when I look, you know, every every time you go, they numb, they do put all these drops in your eyes and they check your vision every single time. Well, the last time before surgery that I went in there and checked my vision, I couldn't see anything out of this left eye. I didn't realize that my right eye was doing all of the work for my seeing, but the left eye, I can't see anything out. So they give you a thing, make you cover up your, you, you know, each isolate each eye, and I can't see anything out of this eye and so of course i'm like oh, i can't see like a little mini meltdown in the doctor's office because i had never not been able to see and i'm apologizing to lay like i'm sorry i'm sorry like this is new to me i don't understand this this doesn't make sense i could see and now i can't and um so the doctor came in after the last injection and she said you know she said i want you to take this month and think about it she said but um, i think you should go ahead and have surgery you know we've been doing this all these months nothing is changing um, your right eye is beginning to look really good. That left eye, I think we need to do surgery. And that's when he came Sunday, Bishop prayed. I went that Wednesday after church to have the procedure. She was able to, I guess, <laughs> so it's crazy how they do surgeries these days. They kind of don't let you, like, they didn't knock me all the way out. So they put me under only to have me wake up like 15 minutes in when they already on the inside of my eye so I can hear them talking over me in my eye so all i can see is so i literally see when the blood moves because <coughs> my eyes open but i can see them whatever they're doing i can like see the the movements of whatever they're changing in my eye creepy okay they get done i'm gonna tell you how god watch over you i hear the one the assistant says you touch that with that glove you need to change your blood and I can hear them going back and forth about it. And she was like, oh, I didn't touch. She was like, yes, you did. So even though I'm out, I can hear him making sure. And you can't convince me that wasn't angels in that room to make that doctor where there was no infections getting in my eye because they were like, uh-uh, and I seen you touch that. You need to change your blood. I heard that. And then I heard this. So then they started talking. I was like, I can still see the blood. They was like, okay, now can you? And then so I'm talking, not even knowing what's going on, but I'm talking to them. And they're like this, this, and this with all this stuff that I can't really understand. So come out the surgery. They was like, everything is well. But as soon as I come out the surgery, I can see out of the eye. I'm supposed to be able to see. That's supposed to be patched up. So I'm like, I don't see blood. I don't see anything in his eye. We get all the way to the one week when we go for you go the next day when they took out when they take off the patch when they you know tell you the routine what you got to do with the drops and I didn't even realize that I couldn't hold my eye open they just I just realized that I couldn't like literally open my eye because of course they are so nice they wasn't saying that my eye was lopsided <laughs> looking crazy they were, they were just like oh okay yeah it looks great well when I went back yes um, um, Friday I don't know if Sean got to come in with me I don't know if he heard the lady say. They give all these letters and numbers, and I don't really know what they mean. And so they had called out something that they saw even the the day after surgery. And she said, no, that's not there anymore. Uh, Y'all hear it? She said, no, that's not there anymore. And I'm going, so even from two, from like a week from the time she saw me last, whatever was there, they, 
she was like, nope, that's not there. And she, and she looked right and I heard, I don't know if you heard her. She, she was saying, oh, mm-mm, that's not there. Mm-mm, that's not there. And it just like, and so today, these are my old glasses. Like, these are the, the prescriptions before the last pair. And they're not as strong. And I can't wear the regular glasses because they're too strong for this. So I have on my old pair of glasses today because that pair is too strong. So it is just a blessing that I can see out of my eye. There is no pain. There's no blood. And I only got one little scar down this healing. So they didn't even expect it to look like this. So it is God is a miracle worker. Hallelujah to his name. And I just am so grateful because I, you don't realize how important your eyes are until you don't have them. And you don't realize how it impacts your day-to-day life until you, you can't. And it gave me a whole new found respect for people with chronic conditions who cannot function in and out of their day who can't move in and out of their day. You don't realize you got to do all these things. You know, you got to take somebody to school. You got to make sure that the meals are prepared. Um, my husband does not cook at all. He don't boil water. He don't, he don't, he could, if he was to feed himself, like the house would burn. Like he does not cook like at all. He does not cook at all. So trying to figure out how we're going to eat or what we're going to eat because those things are constantly in my mind. Well, what we, I'm always trying to think three steps ahead. I'm always trying to think three steps ahead of how to make something work. Well, what's this going to look like or how this is going to look like? And I know I shouldn't worry or think like that, but I'm always trying to be three steps ahead of the next thing. I don't look at today for today. I look at today for what's going to come next and try to plan you know, that's why I don't like last-minute stuff because I got I to gotta have a – it has to flow from – that's how I work best is when I can project what is going to happen. I like things to be predictable for that. And I'm working through that, but it's a thing for me. And um, not knowing uh, what's going to happen and, and how to get to the next step and what we're going to eat and what, how, how I'm going to get her together. And she ain't never rode the bus, so then we're in the middle of COVID and they got to put her on the bus and – it has just been overwhelming. And then trying to just maintain your positivity um, for others. So then in the midst of all that, God is so awesome because I'm working and we're working from home, thank God. You know, so you people have, all COVID is terrible, but COVID blessed me to be able to work from home. And I didn't have to try to figure out how to get to work. And, yeah, I might have been kind of trying to look at the screen different, tilting it down and looking out, out of the, you know, trying to see how to do. But thank God I know my keyboard and I don't have to look to type. And I can get in and out of stuff without looking and seeing. So much so that uh, I won an award, the Guardian Angel Award I won because, or I was recognized because one of my patients made a donation to Mount Carmel on my behalf because she said, that my name, and sh- it's funny, she said, your name is not Angela, your name is Angel, because you came when I needed an angel, and you were there for me, and I'm in the midst of my stuff, so would you, would you make happen for others, God really will make happen for you. Come on, you ought to give God some glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wanted Angela to share that because it's important that you begin to understand why God has had us 
in the vein that we've been in teaching consistently about our identity. What Angela did not say was all the other things that had been tried were not successful. And every man remedy failed. Everything. Went from doctor to doctor and it just didn't work out. This was their last ditch effort. They weren't 100% sure. They were just trying. Doctor's real title is a practicing physician. They were just trying and hoping for the best. And Angela came to church, and it was in that moment when she stated that she was going to move forward with this surgery that the Lord spoke to her. And the Lord made declarations to her. Now understand, when you begin to grasp who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you, you begin to live out one of my favorite verses from the Bible in 1 John 4 and 17. As he is, so are we in the earth. That means that whatever he can do now, we can do in the earth. And as I was preparing that Sunday, uh, because I had planned to lay hands on her and and to pray for her and uh, send her into the surgery that week with, uh, you know, prayerful support, the Spirit of the Lord asked me, do you want something to happen? And I said, yes, I do, Lord. I want her to have a testimony of victory. So the Lord said, then do what I would do. So then when she came that Sunday, I had my wife lay hands on her. And we did not ask God in the sense of just hoping for a good result. We did what Jesus did. If we are now what he is, then I didn't speak as who I used to be. I spoke as who I am. And we spoke and declared exactly what was going to happen. We said the surgery would go without hiccups. We said the sight would be restored. We said the vision would be better. We said the recovery would be quicker and unexplainable. What did God do? The surgery went without a hiccup and God woke her up to let her know that what could have been a hiccup, he caught that too and removed it out of the room. While she was there in surgery, God said, you spoke that the sight would be restored. She testified, I saw the blood 
move. She could see. She goes and finds out that her sight prior to this condition was at one level, but when she came out, the old glasses that were actually the latest glasses were no longer good because they were too powerful. She didn't need that to help her see because God said her sight would be better People of God, when you begin to understand who you are, the power that is in you, the authority that is in you, we've for so many years uh, been living and behaving as if we're just um, begging God to do something when God says, I have embodied all I am in you so that you can carry out my will in the earth and I am the God that heals and if I am the God that heals and you function as I am, yes, healing has to take place. I'm excited about what God is doing. Yes, living witness, living testimony yes, of the power and the grace of God. Amen. We celebrate her victory because God is not a respecter of persons. And if he will do it for her, then we are all in the neighborhood of a victory. And when we can learn to celebrate the victories of our brothers and sisters, don't be mad, but celebrate Praise God for what he's done for them. You're testifying into the atmosphere that I understand that nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for them that believe. Simply by understanding who you are. Simply by walking in the knowledge of your new identity. We said a couple weeks ago, we are not a renovation project. We are a new build. God didn't take what was there and just spruce it up. He gutted what was there and made it all new. This is the grace of our Lord. Renovation projects can look good. They can look really good. But they're built upon a foundation that oftentimes causes problems later. God did not renovate you. God rebuilt you from the ground up. Hallelujah. I won't wear your patience. We had a good time in Pentecost uh, this weekend. I know that my brother, Pastor uh, Bo Burns, um, left Portsmouth 
on fire yes, did. on Saturday afternoon, and then our presiding bishop, Bishop Shao, said, that's not enough flames, <laughs> and he brought a truckload more flames down there. Yes. Portsmouth just isn't going to be the same. We're just so thankful to the Lord for the ability to share uh, Pentecost with everyone via the streaming services. We're so thankful to the Lord for the host pastor, uh, my friend and brother, Bishop Bendoff, and the whole uh, church family down there, Living Faith. We are so thankful to them for spearheading this. We're excited about where we're going now in July the 21st, the 22nd, and the 23rd. We will be in Pittsburgh for Holy Convocation. And I'm encouraging all that can and will to please make the journey. 22nd, or 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. There'll be one service on the 21st, um, a few services on the 22nd, and the same with the 23rd. Uh, ordinations for those that are standing for examination um, will be um, had on that Friday the 23rd and at 6 p.m. we will have that ordination service and yours truly will give the charge to the new ordinance. So I, again I encourage you that can and will please uh, make the journey. I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm not saying that, that you don't use wisdom. You use wisdom in all things. But I'm not going to allow COVID to determine what I do or where I do it. I believe in the Lord. And if the Lord say go, I go. Hallelujah. We've been talking about guilt and the damaging effect that guilt has on our identity and how guilt can actually cause you to stop progressing. You get to a place where the very thing that has introduced guilt in your life, it takes away your power to move beyond whatever that thing is, whatever the perceived failure may be, whatever the determined uh, sin or uh, negative thing might be, you get locked or anchored to that very thing through the power of guilt. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into uh, some of the concepts of guilt and um, examine, if you will, some of the, the causes of guilt so that you can uh, take from what you hear today, examine your own life, and if you see these things present, be able to take back the power of who you are in Christ and move beyond what's got you stuck. Why do people suffer from guilt? Well, there are are many reasons. If you talk to a psychologist, they'll tell you that there are many uh, reasons and patterns uh, to guilt. There are factors that are involved in guilt. And I just want to touch on just a few. One of the, the most common causes of guilt 
in the society in which we live today is coercion uh, or community constraint. We all are, in a sense, under a wet blanket of social pressure and scrutiny. We are all under a level of criticism, and these things can push you towards feeling guilty when those things are used against you. Because you feel like, and many of us have testified to this in our lives, that we're on a stage. And this stage is a place where our success isn't displayed, but what is exposed is our faults, our fears, and our failures. And this oftentimes will develop a level of guilt in our life. We tend to feel guilty when the crowd says, you should have done this. You should not have done that. You did not do what we expected or what everybody else does. And these statements uh, become reminders of past presumed failure, which make us feel guilty or pressure us to conform through social coercion in areas of dress, entertainment, behavior, uh, thought process, ideology, and acceptance. Community coercion can be good or it can be bad. Pressuring people to compromise with sin or to do that which is evil is always wrong and destructive. You don't have to feel guilty about being a Christian. We're living in a day now where being a quote-unquote Christian, which even the word Christian now has taken on so many uh, various meanings and, and definitions, but in the sense in which I believe a Christian is a believer and follower of Christ, you don't have to feel guilty because your theology is diametrically opposed to the theology of the world. What's acceptable in the world is not acceptable in the life of a believer. Understanding your identity now allows me to see life as God determined life to be. And when life begins to rebel against God's definition, I cannot nor will I ever allow myself to feel guilty because I see it the way God does. I won't be or feel guilty about being a Christian. I won't feel guilty about believing what the Word of God says, believing the Bible. I'm not going to feel guilty about going to church. I'm not going to feel guilty about not uh, getting drunk. I'm not going to feel guilty about not partying all night long and flipping cars over because I'm at OSU and just think it's a good thing to do. I'm not going to feel guilty about uh, be, uh, not being immoral or uh, I'm not going to feel guilty about saving myself for marriage. People of God, we have to understand guilt becomes a tool that the enemy uses to force you to do something for which you would not have done otherwise. Don't feel guilty about your faith. 
oftentimes in life you're going to deal with unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Expectations or this type of perfectionism becomes a major cause of guilt in the life of humanity. You see, people who um, are perfectionists by definition measure themselves and their self-worth in terms of what they have accomplished, their productivity, and the uh, reaching of goals that they have established. And if they fail to meet uh, these expectations or those that are around them fail to meet the expectations that they set for them, this introduces a sense of feeling guilty, which leads to self-condemnation. You see, a perfectionist tends to put the same kind of pressure on other folks as well. Because their expectation is something should be done in this specific manner, and it's not done that way, they make people feel guilty for not doing it the way they would do it. As a, just a, a point of quick reference, my wife and I have a different way of flushing coffee beans down the sink. I like to turn the water on, put the little coffee cup that was all ground up into the little disposal thing and watch the water hit it until it dissolves away. That's not fast enough for my wife. She says, just push it in a hole, push it in a hole. And I, we were laughing about it the other day and I said, well, you've got your way to dispose of the coffee beans and I got my way to dispose of the coffee beans. And I happen to like my way. And I'm not going to feel guilty or conform, change, because she does it that way. She's not going to change to do it my way because she thinks that's retarded. Something very simple, but, but brings about the point. One of the things as a trainer in my job that I tell people is there are many ways to do the very same thing. There are many paths for which you can go to get to the same destination. And just because you go one way doesn't mean that that is the only right way to go. But people will cause you to feel like because you went left instead of going right, that somehow there's something wrong with you. And then you begin to buy into that. And then you feel guilty about feeling like, man, I should have gone left instead of going right. And then you begin to shift and then you start trying to do things the way somebody else would do them. However, you don't have the experience of that other person. So when you try to go that way, all you're going to do is fail anyway because you're not built that way. 
but people will force you down that road. And they use the power of guilt to conform you to their expectation of what you should or should not be doing. In my time as a pastor and and speaking with pastors in these many years and, and seeing their families, I've found that many pastors suffer from a kind of pressure and guilt because much is expected of them. Pastors, or in truth, any minister can feel guilty when they can't meet the needs or the expectations of the body of Christ. When a pastor's family is not perfect, when their children are not what they ought to be, they oftentimes begin to feel guilty and then blame themselves for the mistakes of their children. Now understand, this isn't localized to just ministry. In truth, many who are parents have done this. They begin to feel guilty about the experiences or the decisions that their children make. Now if you ask the oldest child versus the youngest child um, about how the parents act, you'll find that oftentimes the uh, youngest child is held accountable for what the older child has done. So the freedoms that the older child enjoyed, oftentimes the younger child doesn't enjoy those freedoms because the older child messed it up. And the parent then begins to feel guilty. So I, now I have to change my parenting so that now my younger child doesn't do what my older child did. And in essence, I become a different parent to each of my children. And that's driven by guilt for some level of failure you believe you had when you were dealing with the first child. When in truth, you had nothing to do with the decisions that they make. You've made yourself accountable for something for which you are not accountable. If you've done as you should as a parent, you will find that your children will rebel. Your children will Go left when you say go right. Your children will go up when you say go down. This is natural in the course of life. Now you give directions because you love them and you've been there before in many cases and you're trying to prevent them from enduring hardship. But oftentimes experience is the better lesson. But you can be driven to feeling guilty about the choices that they make when that truly is not your burden to bear. Pastors, oftentimes when they deal with church and they look at the body 
of their local assembly and they see maybe uh, no growth or it's not as big as they had intended or expected or desired or it's not as big as their friend's church, they often feel guilty and wonder, am I the problem? And then it begins to cause them to shift and to change even sometimes the way they preach. If you look into the world today, you'll find that there are several different pools of preaching. There's preaching the unadulterated, unaltered word of God. And then there's the nitpicky preaching. The preaching that only tells you about the blessings of God and never talk about the pitfalls of life that God clearly details in his word. Never tell you, talk to you about being accountable, living a disciplined and obedient life. They only tell you about all the blessings that you can have. And oftentimes they do this because they don't want to convict you of anything because then you'll be more likely to come and fill the seats in their house. And the more people, the more seats, the more finances come in, and the more they're able to do whatever it is they feel they're led to do. Unfortunately, too often, because they're not preaching the full gospel, lives are being lost. And now we have where people are pretty much discounting the word of God altogether. There was a time when it was completely accepted that the Bible was the uh, God-breathed word. Now many who held positions in church and still hold positions in church will tell you it's just one of many references and it was man-written and some even tell you that it is used as a means by man to control the population. I learned a long time ago that you have to just do the best that you can, whether it's as a minister or as a parent. You just have to do the best that you can. You're not going to always please everybody. You're not going to always meet everybody's expectations. The best thing that you can do is just be yourself and live for God the best way you can. When it comes to your children, you love them as best you can. You rear them in the Lord as best you can. And if your kids rebel, remember, they're not robots. They're going to make their own choices and they're going to have to give an account one day to the Lord for the decisions that they make. But you do the best you can to serve the Lord and be the example that God would have you to be for them and anyone in your circle. And if they're going to play tug of war with God, then let him work in their life. If the Lord feels that they need chastening, don't get in the way of the belt. Just put your kids in the hands of God. Some kids, uh, 
some spouses will feel guilty because their parents or their significant others are difficult to please. No matter what they do, no matter what they accomplish, it's never enough. And this is a good way to destroy them because guilt is a paralyzing power. Parents ought to praise your kids every chance you get. You ought to praise the efforts that they do. Spouses, you ought to praise your mate for whatever it is that they've done for you and for the family. You ought to praise their efforts to do their best. Spend time focusing on the good that has been done or said or even attempted rather than focusing on whatever your perceived failure is of the other. Life is too short. And thinking that you have tomorrow to celebrate somebody because you want to be angry with them today, you will find there are not too many tomorrows left to have. And then that guilt will paralyze you and keep you stuck in a moment that you will not be able to undo. Take time to love your family. We're not all A students. We're not all superstars. We're not all going to be popular. We need to stop strangling our loved ones with impossible expectations. I may not be the best husband on the planet, but I'm going to try to be the best husband that I can be for my wife. Now understand, I'm not giving license to being lazy. And if you're lazy, that should be dealt with because laziness is not doing your best. And there is no excuse for being lazy. But if I'm just not mechanically inclined, you cannot expect me to do something that requires mechanical skill and then get mad and make me feel guilty when I failed at that task. You should celebrate me for even trying to do something outside my capability. Even if it means you have to spend more money or get somebody to undo all the mess you just did. You see, guilt is caused by a community coercion spirit. The next area that I want to talk about is your conscience. A conscience that is faulty when people grow up with constant criticism and huge expectations and demands, you'll find that they tend to become angry, bitter, critical, and burdened by a sense of guilt continually. Because for them, all they know is failure. Because that is all you've ever done, was point out their failure. And they feel guilty for these things that they should not feel guilty for. Have you ever heard the statement, let your conscience be your guide? 
Well, who said it? The answer is Jiminy Cricket. He said it in Pinocchio. You see, parents are primary molders of the conscience. And children tend to accept their parents' standard of behavior of right and wrong. The problem, however, is that parental standards will fluctuate. They're not the same all the time. So the conscience can get you into trouble. It's unreliable unless it has been transformed by the Lord. You see, Jonah disobeyed the Lord and slept soundly upon the ship while heading in an opposite direction of the will of God. His actions did not seem to bother him or shake his conscience. It's for this reason obedience must not be measured by your feeling, but measured by God's standard. There's a fourth cause of guilt that I want to close with today. It's a conviction from evil or an effective conscience. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they had no need for a conscience. They had no knowledge of evil. They had no sense of guilt. After they sinned, they had a new awareness of guilt. Genesis, the third chapter. At the seventh verse, it says this. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? You see, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to bring us to a point where we will turn from that wickedness. The problem is, is that some respond to the conviction with resistance. Genesis 42, 21 and 22 reads, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, Spake I not unto you saying, Do not sin against the child and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. They're talking about when they put their brother in a pit to initially kill him and then ends up selling him off to old school human trafficking. And while they were planning this, Reuben told them, we shouldn't be doing this. 
And they went on. And then they had a chance encounter with Joseph in Egypt. You see, they're under conviction for their treatment of Joseph. They feel a sense of necessary guilt to change how they function in life because the way they were living was wrong. You'll find this repeated. Felix is under conviction and he trembles. The Bible says in uh, Alex, uh, uh, Acts 24 and 25, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. There was conviction that caused him to tremble. You have to understand, at times guilt will motivate you to shift your course. And that is good. The problem is, is what is pushing or introducing the guilt in your life. Is it something that is being used to mature you? Or is it something that is being used to destroy you? Because there are consequences or there are effects of guilt. A reproach or a condemnation of self will show up in many forms. Many of us can testify that we've done this at some point in our life and maybe some of us are doing it right now. Self-punishment. We inflict upon ourself punishment or the denial of doing something good because we think we deserve a swift kick you know where. So we punish ourselves. Oftentimes, you'll find that in relationships, this type of mentality will play itself out, causing you not to allow yourself to enjoy what could be good in your relationship because you feel guilty about something that occurred in past relationships. So when things begin to start to look like they're working right, you do something to sabotage the good that could be coming simply because you don't think you deserve it. And oftentimes you will not even recognize that you are trying to deny yourself or that you're even sabotaging yourself. But when you sit there and you begin to formulate in your mind things to make yourself upset, to prevent real happiness from taking root, this is an indication you are dealing with guilt, which is pushing you to inflict punishment upon yourself for something that's not even related to where you are at right now. Besides self-punishment, there's self-rejection. You'll have thoughts like, nobody can love me. 
How can anybody love me? How can God love me? You'll find that people with this mentality are unable to relax. They refuse to accept compliments. They're very fearful and insecure and oftentimes display much anger with themselves. Job felt this way about himself. Job 42 and 6, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Many of us exercise this very power of guilt, of self-condemnation by trying to go beyond just punishing ourselves, we try to reject ourselves. Then there's self-shame. We have this feeling of worthlessness, which introduces depression, which then ends often in suicide. Did you know that David suffered from severe depression from his guilt? Psalm 51 and 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So what guy was David in the three guys I told you about carrying the sacks? David would be the one who kept all his failure in front of him and meditated on that failure all the time. The problem is, is it can ruin fellowship. You see, guilt breaks down communication and disrupts closeness. People sometimes shun intimacy, whether it's psychological intimacy, relational intimacy, physical intim intimacy, whatever form that the, that, that level of intimacy takes in that specific relationship, they, they, they shun it, they reject it, and they cause themselves to become islands unto themselves, living isolated because of their guilt. You see, fellowship then is damaged by anger because it introduces bitterness or a snappiness of the guilt in a person. In Genesis 3, we find the ruin of fellowship. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God because of the guilt that was introduced. The fellowship between Adam and Eve and God was damaged because of what took place. And it then led them to play the blame game with each other. And in essence, they were both blaming God. Many times, many of us have asked the question, why would God even put that tree in there? That question actually indicates that you think the introduction of sin is God's fault. Because Adam and Eve did not obey. Those who suffer guilt will sometimes involve others in their sinfulness to try to alleviate their own guilt. Eve involves Adam in her disobedience. The guilt that Peter experienced from denying the Lord hurt his relationship with the Lord. He lost the joy of the Lord in his life and he quit. 
Mark 14 and 72. And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. You see, the consequences of guilt are not only reproach and the ruin or the restraint of fellowship, but they lead to rebellion. And folks who suffer from guilt resist guilt. They develop the attitude, you haven't seen anything yet. And rebellion tends to be the greatest towards those who prompt the greatest feelings of guilt. Oftentimes, those closest to you. The nation of Israel did this toward God. Zechariah 7 and 11, but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. You have to understand, you cannot allow guilt to dominate your life. When guilt is introduced, if it is introduced of God to change your course because your course needs correction because you're headed to destruction, guilt then is a tool used to propel you, not to anchor you. And that is a motivator from God to better your existence. But when guilt is used in these other forms that I've introduced to you today, you'll find that it is something for which you need to get away. Because it will not help you, it's only going to harm you. It's only going to keep you trapped where you are, and misery does enjoy company. You'll find that guilty folk only see guilty folk. When you feel like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, or you've done something that you shouldn't have done, that you haven't let go of, now everybody you see is guilty. So you can feel better about the guilt that you feel about yourself. I can't see the good in you because... You, you have to be doing something because I know I'm doing something. And this destroys not only yourself, but those around you. And anything that destroys you, anything that is not building you up towards who you are in Christ is a tool of the enemy. It is a strategy. It is a device of the enemy to keep you stuck where you cannot grow. The enemy's job and desire is for you to suffer. But God said, I've placed my joy in you so that your joy will always be full. Let go of the guilt that is in your life. This is why the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation. In other words, there is now no reason for you to feel guilty 
because Jesus became what you were feeling guilty for. And you became what Jesus is. And because you are righteous, you have nothing to be guilty about. If sin has been removed because Jesus became sin on the cross, he didn't wash my sin away, he became sin. So because he became sin, and he says, I became the righteousness of God. If I am righteous, then I have nothing for which to feel guilty. In fact, I have everything for which to feel full of the joy of God. Which then opens the door of possibility for my success in all that I try to do. Guilt will keep you from taking steps, from opening doors, from moving forward, while the joy of the Lord is a constant push, a constant encouragement to tell you you can do it. Guilt says you can't. God says you can. Guilt says you don't deserve it. God says you do. The happiness you're running away from because you think it's not right for you to enjoy, God says, don't just enjoy it, embrace it. Let it overwhelm you. It's okay to feel good. You don't have to allow depression to bind you in a place because you think you failed. God told me to tell you, you haven't failed. You haven't failed. You haven't failed. You haven't failed. This is what you ought to begin to tell yourself. I haven't failed. I haven't failed. I am who he is. And he's not a failure. I'm not beneath the feet of my enemy. Because I am who he is. And he's above with every enemy under his feet. I don't have to be controlled by my emotions because all authority has been given to him. That means that all authority has been given to me because I am who he is. I don't have to be frustrated because I think I lack resource because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. And if it belongs to him, then it belongs to me. That means that when I am standing in the place of need, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is he begging bread. That means that the very thing that I need, I don't even have to seek after it because I sought first the kingdom of God and found that everything began to seek after me. This is why you can go into a doctor's office and the wrong doctor see you and in that office because everyone in the earth belongs to God, they tell you, go to this doctor in another office. Because you function as who you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not guilty. Jesus is not guilty. That means I 
and not guilty. I'm connected through identification to a guiltless existence. Because the only thing that could cause guilt is sin, and that sin has been removed. How you see and engage life will determine your success and benefit in it. God bless you.